1 through 13. I'm finally moving forward. 1 through 13. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, They no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word. We have come to an important time of the year for most Christians around the world. Uh, except for us Presbyterians who don't follow a church calendar. Uh, but during this week, it is, it is considered by most Christians around the world to be uh, Passion Week. And it starts today with Palm Sunday. Uh, this is remembering uh, the time when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and they threw palm branches and praised him. And it uh, finds its... Uh, ugly culmination on Friday when he was nailed to a cross. But uh, this day that we call Good Friday is called good because he was nailed to the cross for us. He died for us. And this is why it is called Passion Week. It is the week that the Lord displayed his passion as he became the Pascal Lamb. He became the lamb who was to die on our behalf. And he was passive, completely. He didn't say a word. He went to the cross for his church. And right before Jesus brought Peter, James, and John up the high mountain to witness the glory of God, he told his disciples about his ultimate humiliation and death on the cross At the hands of his enemies. Now when we speak of Christ's humiliation. We are speaking about how God the Son. The second person of the Trinity. Took on flesh. And became a man. So for God we're not talking about. Humiliation as an embarrassment. Or or, um, 
he was humbled in the sense of sin, as we are. But we're speaking of when God the Son emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So we can say that Jesus' entire life and death is considered to be his humiliation. He was in the world and took on the weaknesses of fallen man, but without sin for a little while. Then he suffered and died at the hands of sinners in order to ransom many with his blood. He had to go through a period of humiliation beginning at his birth up until the cross. He was indeed the ultimate servant. And his humiliation would give way to his exaltation when he is raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of his father in glory. And he would share with his disciples that every Christian must go through his own humiliation of some sort. We must all take up our cross, die to self, go in the opposite direction than the rest of the world. And it is only through this that we will get to glory. The only way to get to glory is through the cross. But throughout his humiliation, throughout his life, there were little moments of glory and exaltation, such as when he walked on water. That was a theophany, a vision of God. And we know on Palm Sunday, when they sing, Hosanna, blessed is he who came in the name of the Lord. And then here, in his transfiguration. So first here we see, this is the most significant moment of the glory and exaltation of Christ in his earthly ministry. This was pointing forward to when he would be raised from the dead. And it was a glimpse into his glory. The glory of his father when he returns with the holy angels to judge the world. He is there on this mountain in the presence of both the living and the dead. Terror fills his disciples while the Shekinah glory surrounds them. And out of the cloud they heard a voice. And it was the voice of God the Father saying, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. This was a a vision of His exaltation when He returns. We see his exaltation, but secondly, we also see his identity. We see who he is as the Son of God. This is a declaration of his divinity, who he is as God that dwells in his humanity. He is the Son of God from all eternity who took on flesh. He is the beloved, which means he is the one who is worthy of the Father's love. Because of our sin, no one is worthy. Of the Father's love, except for His Son. Because, one, He has no sin, and because He was the one who was at His Father's side throughout all eternity. And it is to this Son that we are to pledge our loyalty. As the people of God, it is with this Son that we are to be associated with, it is in this Son that we are to be united to. 
As God said to David long ago, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. In the transfiguration, he was calling his disciples and all of us, To take refuge in his son. Because this psalm, Psalm chapter 2, was ultimately fulfilled in the son of God, Jesus Christ. Not only that, but then the father speaks the words of prophecy from another prophet. Moses, from Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, that is a human, like Moses, From among you, it is to him you shall listen. The prophecy has been fulfilled in Jesus as he confirms it by saying, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Why? Because his words are the very words of God. See, when Moses was on Mount Sinai and spoke with God, God told Moses exactly what to tell the people. But here, God simply says, Listen to him, because he is my word. He is the embodiment of my word. He is the last word of God given to men. As the author of Hebrews says long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. What God was saying out of that cloud was that this is his son who is God. Listen to him because his words are final. They're final. And the word of Jesus is not limited to the words we see recorded in the New Testament. Jesus has been speaking before his incarnation throughout all of scripture. In Christian theology, we believe that whenever God spoke in the Old Testament, as it is recorded in the Old Testament, it was the Son who was speaking on behalf of His Father. It was the Son speaking in the angel of the Lord. It was the Son in the burning bush speaking to Moses. And Jesus not only has the final word, but He had the first word when all things were created through Him, When God spoke the world into existence. As John says. He is the word. Who became flesh and dwelt among us. Think of some of the final words of scripture. In Revelation. This is Jesus speaking. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them. God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy. God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He has the final word and no other word can be added 
to his word. That's why there are no new prophets of God with new and fresh words from God. He doesn't say, listen to Muhammad. He doesn't say, listen to Buddha or any new age religious prophet. He says of Jesus, listen to him. And for us, this means that every word of God spoken, either from the preacher or from anyone claiming to have the word of God, must lead us to Christ, as he is the center of the Bible. Every portion of scripture that we read has Jesus Christ written all over it. Because it all leads and points in some way or another to him. This is what he taught two of his disciples on the road to to Emmaus. After he was raised. It says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Uh, That's another way of summarizing all of the Old Testament. Moses, the first five uh, books of the Old Testament. And the prophets, all the rest. right? The rest of the Bible. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. See, the word of God finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. If it does not, it is not the word of God. It is not the word of God. Why? Speaking to the Jews who were refusing to believe in him, Jesus said this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is why God says to his sheep on that mountain. Listen to him. And that command has not changed today. As the author of Hebrews says, and as we heard in our call to worship, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. God the Father says the same thing to us today because no one else speaks for God. Christ's words are God's words and God's words are Christ's words, for they have the same nature as God. If anyone speaks contrary to Christ, it is not God's words. This forms the grounds that we have as Christians to reject false religion. It is found in this declaration from the Father. This is why we can say this or that religion is wrong. And this is the area that many Christians have either lost discernment or lost the conviction or have become careless, or have been deceived by a false humility that is taught by our culture around us, that we can never know anything for sure, and to say that we know something for sure is prideful? Well, actually, it's the opposite. To deny the truth is prideful, especially when it is given to us by God. Or maybe it is out of fear, We no longer humbly and lovingly, but with conviction, correct false religion and false teaching. 
Because false religion sends people to hell. False teaching, not knowing and believing correctly, sends people to hell. Because they are not listening to Jesus. They're not obeying the command. Listen to Him. This would include all new revelations coming from men. So if someone was to come up to you and say, God told me to tell you something. Or I have a fresh new word from God for you today. Unless he is just a super excited Christian who opens up his Bible and reads a passage to you with proper understanding of what it means, then it is not a word from God. It is a word from Satan sent to deceive. Just like he uses supernatural visions and signs or appearances to deceive. He can use the words of men to deceive. This is why we believe that all of these additional so-called holy books from so-called holy teachers do not contain the very words of God. We think of the Quran or the Book of Mormon, Watchtower Publications, etc. Why? Because they contradict what Jesus has said and what the Bible says about Jesus. God says, this, that is Jesus, is my beloved son. Listen to him. And this is why the preacher is to preach Christ. Not our own ideas or our indifferent opinions. I'll tell you my opinion if you want it. Uh, I'm highly opinionated if you don't know already. But I can't bind you to mere opinions. I can only bind you to the words of Christ. Paul said that the church has given teachers of the word to build her up so that she will not be led astray by every wind of doctrine. Now the difficulty is, is that as sinners, we notice that God's word is repetitive. God has to repeat himself often, mainly because his people can be hard of hearing. Unfortunately, our sinful nature always craves uh, something new or different, other than what God has already said. So we look for new teachings to follow, trying to avoid God and His truth. It is in our nature to do so. But there is nothing new under the sun, we know that. It is either God's word or everyone else's words. Now, there are false prophets out there who claim that God is still speaking today. But the problem is, when their God speaks, he contradicts what the God of the Bible has already said. Then we must conclude, it is not God speaking. I've seen a sign outside of a church that said, God is still speaking. And behind the sign, there was a a pride flag hanging behind it, a gay pride flag. So that is to say that what God said before about sin is not what God is saying now. Folks, if that is the case, and if God has changed his mind about sin, then what God has said about Christ dying on a cross for our sins to save us is not what he is saying today. And how will we be saved? 
That is blasphemous and completely wrong. God has spoken. And what he has said has not changed. And God has spoken ultimately and finally in Jesus Christ. Now the question is, are we listening to him? Are we listening to him? God declared, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Why? Well, thirdly, because he is unique. He stands alone. He is set apart from every man who has ever lived. He is infinitely greater than the greatest of men you have ever known. Greater than any leader and greater than any parent of a child. It is rather annoying when you turn on the TV and some news broadcaster appeals to Jesus and his teachings as if he was just some regular guy who had some good things to say about how we treat people. As if he was just like one of us. If all you get about Jesus from reading the scriptures was that he was a cool guy who was relatable and he was easygoing, he stood up for the lower class of people and the nobodies, if that is all you get from reading the scriptures about Jesus, then we are not reading the same Bible. We are not reading the same Bible. You're missing most of what the Bible says about Jesus. Have you not read about the transfiguration? How the radiance of the glory of God shone through the flesh of Jesus Christ. And out of a bright cloud came the voice of God the Father setting Jesus apart saying, Don't listen to the Pharisees and scribes. Don't listen to your cultural leaders of today. Don't listen to those who twist the scripture for their own advantage. Instead, listen to my beloved son. Yes, he was one of us. But why did he become like one of us? Why did God take on flesh? Because we failed where he triumphed. We failed in the areas where he was victorious. We failed to live up to the standards of God. He was made like his brothers, that is, a man in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, that is, to make atonement for the sins of the people, to stand and take the punishment that we deserve in our place, and also to sympathize with our weaknesses who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He is unique. He is set apart. And after the voice spoke these words, there was a sudden silence. Moses and Elijah were gone. The cloud was gone. The light that shone through the flesh of Christ was gone. Everything seemed to go back to normal and you could imagine the confusion on the disciples' minds and the look on their faces. Peter, James, and John were looking around. They no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. He stood among his disciples because he is the unique Savior of the world. There is no one like him and they were to put their trust in him alone. 
All that they saw and heard has its final fulfillment in Jesus. The glory of God was shining forth from him. The dead prophets were raised and spoke to him. The Father spoke on his behalf to reveal who he was. And there he stood alone. Jesus was the only one there because he is the unique son of the Father. The only begotten. The only beloved. Because Jesus is the only Savior. He is the only Savior of men. Jesus is the only way to hear the Father's words. He is the only way to see the Father, to know the Father, to be forgiven by the Father, to be with the Father in heaven. Consider this without the Son, you have no Father, and you cannot be a child of God. From this point on in our narrative, he would head south with his disciples. On a journey to prove that he is the only Savior. He will go to the cross. And as the only Savior. He will go on to explain how he will save them. And it leaves them a bit more confused. Given what they had just witnessed. So fourthly. He tells them of his humiliation again. During this mountaintop experience. We know he spoke with Moses and Elijah. About his exodus. And they knew that he was to die. Before he would be raised. So now as they were coming down from the mountain. He would explain to his disciples. What was going to happen to him again. He was preparing them. For what was coming. It is much like those tough talks. That we need to have with our children. As they grow older. About the inevitable. To prepare them. But here he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Again, because they did not understand or see clearly yet. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. What does it mean? They knew from Scripture that there will be a day when everyone will be risen from the dead to be judged. But they did not understand why the Son of Man himself would be raised from the dead uniquely and specifically. They didn't understand that this was the way of salvation and that he would be delivered up for our trespasses and be raised for our justification. They didn't understand that it was the way to glory. He just made this big transition from showing them his glory to describe the kind of death that he was going to die by answering their questions. They were just confronted with glory, but now he speaks of rising from the dead. And I think they only heard the word dead there. And after seeing Elijah speaking with Jesus, they ask him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? They probably had in mind the prophecy of Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Though we just saw that Elijah does come and speak with Jesus. And he would confirm, yes, Elijah does come first to restore all things. But many will miss him or dismiss him. Because this Elijah is speaking of John the Baptist. The messenger who will prepare the way of the Lord. 
John the Baptist would call all to repentance and turn the hearts of many to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And he would baptize and anoint our Lord Jesus in the Jordan River. Now, John wasn't Elijah reincarnate. Uh, uh, We don't believe, and the Bible doesn't teach, reincarnation. But he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He came with the same ministry as one of the prophets of old. Then Jesus asks this question, and how it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Herod would have him decapitated, have his head cut off, and handed over to Herodias' daughter. But Jesus mentions John the Baptist's suffering to ask them if they did this to him, imagine what they're going to do to the Son of Man. This is a big leap. A big leap from the glory he just revealed to them to how he is to die. This is a drastic transition. But folks, it is not for nothing. Mark placed this here for a reason. See, as Liam Gallagher, a pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, notes, there are many parallels between the transfiguration and the cross. They both take place on a mountain where it is elevated and he is lifted up to a place of glory. Here, Mount Tabor, at the cross, was on Mount Calvary. Here, it was private. At the cross, it was public. In the transfiguration, he was exalted. At the cross, he was humiliated. Here, after six days, there was light. At the cross, after six hours, there was darkness. Here, his clothes were bright and radiant. At the cross, his clothes were torn. Here, Elijah is present. At the cross, Elijah is confused with Jesus. Here, he stood with two prophets of God. At the cross, he was crucified between two thieves. Here, there is light. The cross, there was darkness. Here he brought others with him. At the cross, everyone fled. He was alone and he was taken from this world by others. At the transfiguration, three men are named. Peter, James, and John. At the cross, three women are named. The two Marys and Salome. Here the Father declares him to be the Son of God. At the cross, he is declared to be the Son of God, both in mockery And in sincere confession. Here he is in the form of God. At the cross he is in the form of a servant. Here his flesh is transfigured with his glory. At the cross his flesh is torn and marred beyond human resemblance. And we find ourselves between the two events which are polar opposites. And he is preparing his disciples for this glory. 
So he explained to them once again how he was to suffer for his disciples who have witnessed his glory. They may be pondering in confusion. I don't get it. Why? Why does he have to suffer? He has the glory and the presence of God within him. He could just end it all right now and restore Israel. But one thing to understand about the cross is that it was also considered to be when Jesus would be lifted up. As Jesus explains, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so the people would gaze on it and live, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So when we gaze on it, we would live. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And to be lifted up was another way of saying he is to be exalted. He is to be lifted up from the earth. His death was also to be his glory. Why? Because he was accomplishing his father's will to draw his people, to draw us to himself. There is glory in the transfiguration and there is glory in the cross. That is something we should ponder this week as the rest of the world, or the rest of the Christians in the world are remembering the Passion Week, celebrating Palm Sunday and the way he went into Jerusalem on a donkey, being glorified, being exalted by the people only to lead to his death on Friday, but then to be raised on Sunday. And he went through this for you and me to secure our salvation. The unique Son of God came to die and to rise again for us. And as the scripture says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Which means we are joined to him. Which means we share in his sufferings. Paul says this. Regarding Christians, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And Paul admonishes us that if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is. Is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above. Not on things that are on earth. For you have died. You have died with Christ. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears. Then you also will appear with him in glory. So always remember this. There is no glory without the cross. No glory without the cross. Have we taken up our cross? Are we following him on this path to glory? Amen.